0: How do you handle change? Do you like it? It's not usually our reaction to say, Oh, goody, they filled my route to work with orange cones. Yippee. Oh, yay, our company's been purchased by someone else. All sorts of new policies and new rules. Now, be honest... You ever come into church and someone was sitting in your spot? (laughs) You see, we think we're pretty adaptable and versatile, but sometimes the old neural pathways get changed and challenged, and it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. I can attest, I, I really don't like change. I'm not good at it. I like consistency. I have a lot of things that I just, it, I, I need it consistent in my life. Uh, my favorite colors have never changed. Uh, the universal favorite color, in fact, my opinion, God's favorite color, is blue. Okay? you want to ask me why it's God's favorite color, I can tell you more later, but, but it's blue. Okay? Um, my clothes. I at the point where I have zero desire to impress anyone. I, I love shopping at Sam's, and if I can find the right pair of shorts, I'll buy seven of them. I, I, my, my goal in life is to be like the, the late Steve Jobs, who just had one outfit that he wore everywhere all the time. I like consistency. I don't like it when things change. I have favorite foods, favorite restaurant. You know the one. We like Maybe you don't, but I do. Consistency, things that are reliable and steadfast, as we've been talking about this entire year. The challenge is that life is rarely consistent, nor is our culture steadfast. And so we're starting a series today that is really addressing all of us of how we react how are we supposed to respond when when so many fundamental foundational things in our culture seem to be shifting and not in a good way how, how do you respond to that kind of change uh, the kind of cultural changes that affect not just you, but your children and your grandchildren. The, the, the kind of seismic shifts going on all around us. How do you respond to that? And we see a lot of that happening in our world. Um, in the last several years, I, I was just trying to think about these points in time where we've seen these dramatic, abrupt shifts and we know that the world moves fast. But am I just getting old, or is it just really, really moving fast? You know, we, we can look around at stories in the news and things on TV, and we we if we just step back and think about the issue. Abortion. Right? Most of my life it's, it it has been uh, something that is you know the Supreme Court famously made legal to murder your baby back in the early 70s and so that's been a part of the world that I've grown up and the Supreme Court recently ruled that you no know, that that was the wrong call and the 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 backlash the vitriol the 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 absolute anger and uh, just complete hatred that, that anyone would t- try to affect uh, this, what some believe is a sacred right. They used to say that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. And, and, and yet, in our culture, it seemed like we were celebrating the right to offer our children... To Molech. And, and, and I stood back and I thought, man, what, what's happening in our world? I, I don't get that. In the matter of homosexuality, uh, there used to be kind of this idea that, well, you know, it's just a private matter between two consenting adults. It really doesn't affect you. You, you know, stay out of the bedroom and all of that. But now we have a whole month Dedicated to the inverse value of pride. Uh, It's gone from just leave us alone to you will marry us and you're going to bake that cake. And, And you stand back from that and you say, what in the world is happening in our world? The issue of feminism women's rights. It used to be a time when women stood up and, and spoke up about the importance and the value of women. And, and now we've shifted to, you know, if you're a female athlete, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to compete with a male athlete. I'm sorry that you worked your whole high school and college career. I'm sorry that we're going to take that away from you, but uh, we're just trying to be Inclusive if you 've got a daughter i 'm sorry she is going to have to share the restroom with other boys if they identify in that way and you think what in the world is happening, and how is it happening so quickly that there was a time when children were considered precious and and to be left alone you didn 't drag them into the the political debates. You didn't drag them into the the culture wars. Kids had this world that was what we called childhood. It was protected. It was innocent. But now you you're not exactly a hundred percent sure when you take your child to school if your teacher will will tell them, hey, you know, if you'd like to be a different gender, that's okay. We don't have to tell mom and dad about that. And we'll take you down to the nurse and get you some puberty blockers here, and we don't have to let your family know either. We, we, we've, the people who prey on children, pedophiles, are, are now considered minor attracted persons in, in an attempt to gradually make that normal We watch children being groomed, and and we take a step back and say, What in the world is happening? How is this happening to my children? To my grandchildren? The the concept that there used to basically just be two genders, male and female. I thought this would be fun sermon research. I googled how many genders are there. After a couple of billion results, I finally found one page that gave me an answer. It said, there's 107 genders that we've identified. And you're going to use our pronouns. You're going to. And and these are just a few examples. I'm not going to spend the entire time on this. I just want to give you a few of the things that we are all seeing every time we open this device. Does it shock you anymore? Does anything get your attention anymore? Do do you think that it possibly can't get any worse? I I scratch my head. I wonder, what does the culture become? I wonder who I've become. I think I've become my grandmother. What in the world? This is a picture of me reading news on my laptop. What in the world? But that's the world. I, I, I want to make sure we understand this. This is the world. And it's bad now. But it's always been bad. Probably going to get worse. Yeah, It's always been pretty bad. You can, you can ask men and women of faith... You could go back to Noah and say, Noah, what was the world like in your day? You know, it was bad enough. God finally had to flood it all out. You could ask Elijah. You could ask Daniel. You could ask Jesus. And all of them would in agreement say, Oh yeah, that's bad. And there's not much hope of things getting better. This is what people become without Jesus. This is the nature of the human heart. We should expect no less. So it's easy to become overcome by that, but we've got to have some perspective that's important. Now, The next part of the sermon, I'm I'm talking to Christians. And and my assumption is that a large majority of the audience are Christians. But there may be some that are not. And if you're not, you need to know that what I'm about to say doesn't really apply to you. The scripture says in the Old Testament and the New, there's two groups. There's God's people and there's a Godless people. In the Old Testament, that was the Israelites. They were the chosen people. In the New Testament, that's the church, the called out. The called out. The called out. So don't be afraid when you look around in the world that you were called out of. But you should be warned. Let's let's listen to the Apostle John. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. If you have a Pew Bible in front of you. You don't have your own Bible, grab a Pew Bible. Uh, If you have a Pew Bible and you don't know where 1 John is, right toward the end there, page 1304. If you have your own Bible, you should know where 1 John is, hopefully. We're in chapter 2, this short book. And John is giving a lot of warnings. He's talking about new commands and and and, and then he says he says this. First John chapter 2 verse 15-16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You, you see, the, the, the world will, in my view, always be the world. And, and it's easy for me to look back and remember fondly the late 1900s. Uh, the, 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 the 80s were the best decade, in my opinion, um, and to remember them nostalgically, we do that about the past. we romanticize it. We look back the way things used to be back in the good old days. We have to be careful there 's never been a time in human history when the world was great. The world was always bad. you just probably just didn 't notice and and John says not to love the world. Now in the sense of the world here, i not going to get deep on this one, but we need to understand he's talking about the world's system of values. The things that the world desires and loves and relishes and honors and calls good. We don't love those things. And he gets real specific about the desires of the eyes and the desires of flesh and the pride of life. But God's people, especially in the new covenant of Christ, are called out to be different. Holy is one word for it. Peculiar is one translation. But those words all say one very thing, one very important thing, and that is this. Not like the world. Now I want to show you something. This is a video clip. It's about 90 seconds. I'm going to ask you guys to bring the lights down a little bit, sound up. But before I show you the clip, I, I want to tell you that I wrestled really hard whether to, to show you this clip. Because there's a clip of what some people call a church, and I, I really am not big into bashing other churches. That's not what this is about. But, but this is to illustrate for you something that's happening that's no longer just in the world. It's seeping into the church. So as you listen, there's some subtitles if you don't got good hearing, and hopefully, hopefully you'll get the idea. As we see what happens when the church compromises and loves the world. We recognize that all people are made in the loving image of God no matter who they are, how they dress and express themselves, or who they love. We celebrate this divine and, and commit to lifting up the voices of the LGBTQ+ LGBT+ LGBT+ community and creating spaces where everyone can thrive. Drag queens are often <laughs> targets of hate and violence, but we know that they are powerful and resilient people who show us what it means to be truly authentic and expressive. The yeah. When I saw that, at first, I, you know, I had to adjust my glasses, and what in the world But a couple of observations. Number one, there's some true things in there. Some, it's not outright lies, it's truth mixed with lies, which is the way the enemy works. He, 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 he subtly works in. And he, he dismantles truth by chipping away at it. Is every person made in God's image? Absolutely. Each person standing there in their drag attire are made in the image of God. They were formed in their mother's womb. Now something has happened since from that moment till what we saw in that recording. But, but then I ask some questions that I think are important to ask. Number one, is this what God wants? Is this what God desires? I, I noticed the absence of Scripture. Just re- repeat this dogma for us. And, and when it's not Scripture, it's kind of creepy hearing people just recite the world's values. I, I, I look at the rainbow flag behind all of that and my heart weeps at the mockery of God. I, I ask the question, is this truly loving? Because that's a really important point. Because the way the enemy is working this into the kingdom is to say, well, if you're not loving, then of course you wouldn't do this. But if you're loving, then you will accept everybody, tolerate everybody, celebrate everybody. And I ask the question, is that biblically loving? Remember how the Bible spells out what love is, okay? What we saw up there is what I call sloppy agape. Okay? It's it's love that makes us feel good, but it's not real love. Uh, The Bible describes love. Very specifically in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul spells that out, what it means to truly be a loving church. But that's how the enemy works. Aren't you a loving congregation? Aren't you accepting don't you believe that all people are made in the image of God? So it's important. We've got to use discernment. And we've got to think about who we are as a church. We want to please God. We want to teach our people to grow in their knowledge of the word. And not to seek to change the word. I've been reading on this subject so many books. <laughs> and on what is called affirming theology, here's basically what it gets to. I mean, pages and pages by very smart people with lots of resources. But they basically say all of this that plainly says this, it, that doesn't, that's not really what it means. Yeah, you have, to, you have to be educated, you see. You, you have to know what they really meant. Because, I mean, God didn't really say. Does Northside want to be a loving congregation? Absolutely. But we want to do so by God's definition of love and not by the world's definition of love, okay? So, as we think about that... I want to ask you to turn to an Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, here's what he says of the culture of the world of his day. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who Put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. So, if you've ever flown in an airplane, you probably are not aware of something that pilots do that's very important, and that is aligning the compass. So the the runways have numbers on them. Those numbers, if it's runway 35, that coordinates with a coordinate on the compass. So runway 35 is 350 degrees on the compass, or pretty close to it. Before that, that airplane takes off, one of the things that's so important for the pilots to do is to look at the magnetic compass... And make sure to align the digital compass. And make sure that's in agreement with the coordinates on the ground. Otherwise, you could be going 180 degrees in the wrong direction. You could be going 30 degrees in the wrong direction. You have to align your compass. Now, the prophet Isaiah says, Woe, and not in a good way, woe to those who have a misaligned compass, who exchange evil for good, who exchange light for darkness. Woe unto those people because it brings all sorts of consequences and difficulties and things that we see in our culture. Woe meaning great sorrow, distress, or trouble. And the point is, things are always going to go from bad to worse For anyone who who rejects God, now the the misalignment of a compass doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens gradually. This is really important that we understand because it's the enemy is really smart, and he knows that if he takes you from you know 360 degrees to 180 degrees, you're going to go whoa 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 that's not that's not right. So what he needs to do is move you just a couple degrees at a time, just a couple of degrees and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And so first we overlook evil, and then we permit evil, and then we legalize evil, and then we promote evil, and then we celebrate evil, and then we persecute those who still call it evil. So what do Christians do with this? How many of you have ever driven on Kellogg? Raise your hand if you've driven on Kellogg. Oh, good. You live to tell the tale. Now, now, if you've driven on Kellogg, officially called US 54-400, you know that there is a posted speed limit on Kellogg. What is it? You don't even know, do you? (laughs) Officially, it is 60 miles an hour. But unofficially, there are two speed limits on Kellogg. 55 and 85. (laughs) As you're driving down the road, there's one person. He's like, you know, I know what the speed limit is. I'm gonna say just a little bit under that, and they always drive in the left-hand lane, which makes everything super great. And then you got the 85s who give no regard to the speed limit and are driving 85 and just weaving in and out of traffic and all of this. And you know the challenges that come with that. And so, what do you do when you're a person who drives right about the speed limit? You're kind of stuck. You see, there are some churches that deal with cultural issues in the same way. Kellogg is kind of like church in this way. Some churches go 55 and some churches go 85. Some churches never want to talk about these things. They're theological ostriches burying their head and their hearts in the sand and refusing to deal with the issues that their people are dealing with every day. But then there's those churches that move 85 miles an hour, the avant-garde, the leading edge or the bleeding edge, and they're just trying to keep up with the world. They want to be like the world just as fast as fast can be. And where does the church to do it really just wants to drive the speed limit and get to our destination safely. Okay, I'm going to give you some things that hopefully will help all of us, and we're going to talk about it more as we progress with the series. The key solution, I think, is one thing, and that is this. Not to fear, not to despair, not to be overcome, not to become theological ostriches, but that you seek God. That you ask yourself, God, what do you will? That was the example of our Savior. Not my will, but your will. Okay? Now, we don't leave that to the subjection, subjective wishes and whims of your heart. Okay? Do not follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Follow God's heart. Okay? Seek God and go his way. Ask yourself, is this what God wants? Or is this what I want and I've just twisted some scriptures to support my case? Young people, as you get to an age where my oldest child is now and you get to decide, one if I'm going to go to church, two, if I'm going to yield to the Word of God, three, what kind of church will I attend? An important question to ask is, are they seeking God? Are they going His way? It's important that we follow the words from Psalm 18, and I would like to ask you to stand as we read this together. I'm not going to ask you to recite some dogma. I'm going to ask you to recite the Word of God. From Psalm 18, it's on the screen, verses 30 and 31. This God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is rock except our God? The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. You can never go wrong seeking God. And so we're going to challenge you and make you think and ask you to listen to, not your heart, but to listen to what God says on all and any cultural issues that we talk about. And so you say, okay, how do we do this? How do I put this into practice? I'm going to give you four quick things and then we'll close. How do we seek God and how do we go his way? Now, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been baptized and, and you've been paying attention, you think, well, this whole thing doesn't really apply to me because he's speaking to Christians, I want to step back to you for the first one, and that is this. Number one, you've got to follow Jesus. Do not follow your heart, as I said. <clears throat> uh, follow your heart has ended more marriages, caused more addictions, Killed more children, mutilated more bodies, destroyed more souls, and ended more lives than Satan ever imagined. It's one of hell's most effective slogans. Do not follow your heart. Tell your heart to shut up. And instead, yield to God's heart. Now, how do we follow Jesus? By seeking the way. And that's the verse you have there, John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're not a Christian, you may be a very good person. You, you, you may have a lot of things stacked in your favor, but you are not righteous to God's standard of righteous. It was already shared with you this morning, the gospel. Okay? You deserve God's wrath, Matt told you. You do. And the only way to not receive his wrath... Is for someone else to take it. Well, how do we follow? How do I get into Christ? Well, some preachers would tell you pray a prayer. Some preachers would tell you "You just invite him into your heart. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says Jesus Himself said, "Believe and be baptized." Peter said, "Repent and be baptized." If you're not a Christian, uh, my question for you is, what are you waiting for? Okay, So that's the first thing, is you have to make that commitment to follow Jesus, to repent of your sin, and to follow him. Number two, then you live in a lifestyle, you walk in a way where you yield to the word. Psalm 119, verse 105, is a scripture on there. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and the light to my path. The Word is more than just a written page. It's illumination for the heart and for the soul. The best thing you can do when you see clips like what I showed you or you watch the news or you see a sign or a billboard at the end of the day is to go home and and do a a cross-check with the Word of God. Is that what God says? It's not just about knowing the Word. It's about yielding to the Word. Those are two very different things. I mean, arguably, there are probably some people in this audience who know the Word and yet refuse to yield to the Word. We've got to do that if we want to follow Jesus. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding." But in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Number three, be a rebel. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the most if you want to be a conformist, then be like the world. I mean, some some Christians, some churches, believe that it's a very, it's a very. Isn't this wonderful? How accepting and tolerant we are? But that's not that's not wonderful at all. That mocks God. That doesn't praise God. If you want to be a rebel then choose to walk upstream against the flow of the world. Make intentional decisions. I'm not going to be like the world. It amazes me how many people take the word and try to make it palatable to the world. And We just leave out this verse and we make a justification here. We ignore this section. We add a few of our own things and, and maybe the world will love us. But compromise to the world never wins the world. If you love someone who's not a Christian, the most unloving thing you could do is to compromise the Word of God, the truth of Christ. The most unloving thing you could do. And listen, it's so important that we understand this. Because sometimes in the church we... I'm just as guilty of it. Sometimes we... We point out evil from a place of moral superiority. And that's not the right place to point it out. If you're a Christian, the reason that you yield to the word and not the world, the reason to bring people to Jesus is because you you don't want them to burn. Because you love them, and you don't want their soul in hell. Which is where every soul will be outside of Christ. And so, we do ourselves a disservice to water down the gospel. This book deals with every sin. You think I'm just picking on certain sins. No. This book deals with every sin. Greed, and anger, and lust, and pride, and gossip, and slander. Uh, the, The sins that are real easy to hide, this book deals with your sin, if you'll yield to it. But don't compromise it. Don't water it down. And for goodness sake, if you love someone, the most loving thing you can do is gently but firmly speak the truth in love. So don't conform. Be transformed. Don't compromise with the world. That never wins the world. Churches that are seeking to compromise and be like the world... They are not winning over the world. All they are doing is watering down Christians. And they're making them... Well, Jesus said, if your salt is trampled upon by men, what good is it? Number four. Build on the rock. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not and does them will be like a wise man built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because he had been it had been founded on the rock I can tell you that Matthew chapter 7 hits the levering household in a different place your house is going to face a storm. The winds are going to come. The rain's going to beat on that house. The question is not whether the storms will come. It is, will your house stand in the storm? And Jesus says the key to that is not hearing my words, not reading my words, but putting them into practice. I love that you're sitting there also attentively, most of you, and you are listening. Does the preacher's heart good? But what changes hearts is putting these words into practice. That's how you build on the rock. Don't build on the sand. Who is like the man who just heard the words? He heard the words of mine and does not do them. It would be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat it against that house and great was its fall. The world is like a sand dune (laughs) and just constantly shifting moving sand blown by the winds of culture and every whim of the human heart You cannot stand, nor can you build on sand. But the Lord is bedrock. His word is reliable and always and forever true to all people at all times. And so in a world built on the sand, make sure your life and your home is built upon the rock. As we just sang, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This morning, if you are ready to obey the gospel, to not just obey the gospel, to obey Jesus himself and put him on in baptism, do not wait. If you know your soul is in danger of hell, if you are not ready to face eternity, don't schedule your baptism. Respond today. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the moment the Lord has given you. And if you've been in Christ, but you've not been yielding to Christ, if you've been living more according to the world than by the Word, Maybe you need to repent in a public way. Maybe you need the prayers of our shepherds. We are here to serve you and help you realign your compass. If you have a need this morning, we're going to offer an invitation zone. Here's what we do. Here's our tradition. We stand and we sing. And if you have a public need and would like to visit with our shepherds, for them to pray with you or to bring it before the congregation, head to the back. Our shepherds will stand at each doorway. Whatever your need might be, if you have one, once you head to the back during this time, the rest of us, let's stand and sing.